we read that the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Oreb. These six verses are, again, kind of on the heels of what happened last week with the worship of the golden calf that Aaron made. And... God can forgive, God can go forward, but sometimes there's just fallout, right? We know that in our own lives. Certain things have the far-reaching impacts, some have moderate impact, but there's always, there's always a, a cause and effect, you know, from sin and bad decisions that we make personally in our life or we make as a ch- church family or a city might make bad decisions, a city might make good decisions, a community might make good decisions, a community might make bad decisions. And a country could make good decisions, and a country could make bad decisions, right? You study any country's history, there might have been good decisions made that blessed the country. There might have been bad decisions made that brought a curse and set a country back for years, sometimes centuries, especially if you're studying Russian history like I have been, and just it's the way it works. So here, there's consequences for the nation of Israel as they're entering into this covenant with God. There's consequences for them in what they've done. And something that stands out to me where obviously the Lord says, okay, depart, go. I'll send my angel before you, which is how we left off last week. Just go, go to land, I promise. I keep my word. I'm a God of promises. I keep my word. As you reminded me the previous chapter, Moses reminded God, you keep your promises. So, you know, please have mercy on us. And we read that the Lord relented the disaster he's going to bring upon Israel. So God keeps his word, keeps his promises. But he says, I'm not going in your midst. I'm not going to be in your midst because you are stiff-necked people. And when you think about that phrase, stiff-necked, it comes up with this particular generation repeatedly in their journey through the wilderness. In fact, years later, centuries later, in the New Testament, Hebrews would look back and quote a psalm that talks about this, this generation and say, do not be like those in the wilderness that you know, hardened their hearts and would not heed the voice of the Lord. Today is the day to make it right, but they wouldn't. And th- this generation, this group of people that God's talking to, Everyone over 20 is not going to enter into the promised land. So as he talks about these promised land, the promised land reaffirmation that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, modern Israel, the land of Canaan there, and that's where they're going to go. Everyone over 20 except Caleb and Joshua who are hearing this statement right now, none of them are going to make it in. The chastening they, they get, the corrections they get from the Lord, they don't learn from it. But tonight as we're gathered as a church of Jesus Christ on June 16, 2020, we are told, and I remind us ourselves of this again, Corinthians in the New Testament tells us is these things were written for our admonition. That when we study, like we know the Old Testament's there for us to grow and learn because all scripture is profitable. But when we're studying about this generation, God literally says these things are written for the church's admonition that we would learn. These are lessons for us. And he said that they're a stiff-necked person, people, as a people group, as a nation, as a nation. So we have to think for a minute we want to make sure under no circumstance that we are stiff-necked. The idea there is just like, what? Like when you see people puffed up like this, like they just, just like, you, like it's pride. It's like nose up in the air pride. And you can't, like, what are you going to do? It's just like, what? What? Like when you see that. And it just, it doesn't look good on you. It doesn't look good on me. It doesn't look good on anybody. It just doesn't look good. It's a bad look because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's never going to be a good look he said twice and he says it again later on as well in the context of tonight that this is the way they are so this is yet again another reminder to us that the opposite of being it's like being rigid right you know pastor chuck used to say blessed are the flexible but they won't be broken well the stiff-necked person is rigid and they will be broken because they don't they won't humble themselves before the lord now that's the reality of it so we want to make sure as we're going through all these things in our timeline that we're not becoming stiff-necked before the Lord. That 
all that we see going on around us in our world and in our nation, it's making us softer toward the Lord, more humble toward the Lord, more pliable with the Lord, and stronger in the Lord. There are a lot of people that are becoming stiff-necked, that already were stiff-necked and becoming more stiff-necked. And a lot of them go to church, and a lot of them are ranting and raving, and you can't reason with them. And many of them are ranting and raving against their own pastors that are trying to lead them in a good way. And they're stiff-necked. Do not be stiff-necked, because God resists the proud, and he gives his grace to the humble. Like it says in First Peter, fear God, honor the king, respect all people, love the brotherhood. And if you do those four things, it'll all be good. Stiff neck, avoid it at all cost. The moment you find yourself going like this, like what? If you're doing like this for the Lord, then what? You're like the Lord needs you to fight his battles? Right? Why would we ever need to be like, like it just it doesn't, no. We... I can't stand the fireworks in Huntington Beach. Not the fireworks, but the illegal fireworks, like mortar rounds, you know, that start going about this time of year. And for whatever reason, our neighborhood thinks that you can just buy illegal fireworks and light them off like mortar rounds over people's houses. Terrifies the dogs, terrifies kids. It's just, I guess, you know, maybe when I was younger, I thought it was funny. It's not funny, okay? So we had an incident in our neighborhood a couple weeks ago where uh, these teenagers, with their dad's support, were lighting these off at like 11 at night you know so it's one thing again if it's like you know it's 11 at night just not not and you know the police right now in Huntington Beach they're not going to come out for fireworks like that's the least of their concerns illegal fireworks whatever so I I went down there and it was like it was a Saturday night after coming home from WG and about the same time some other people in the neighborhood were there and this guy was just like what you know and, and it's just like went back home and then the other night it started again and, you know, I just sat down to relax, and all of a sudden, like, these are, like, kind of the shaker window kind. Like, these aren't, like, the, these are, like, boom, like you're in, um, you know, Battle of the Bulge or something. They're just, they're, they're, they're really loud, and my wife doesn't like them at all. And the dogs run and hide, and it's just, it's a bummer, you know, like, it's like you're a hostage. I just sat down in my backyard to relax after the grandkids just went home, let the reader understand. And it's Sunday evening, about something, like, okay, you know, and all of a sudden, boom. And so... It kept going. And so I, I, I said, oh, I'm just going to go down there. And I told my wife, you know, I'm not mad. Like, if you're mad, please don't be mad. If you, you want to be sad, be sad, but don't be mad. Like, everything's happened this year, I'm not mad. I'm sad. I, I'm not mad. I, I used to be mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad anymore. I'm just sad. I want to cry over about everything. I'm grieved. Things that give the Lord grieved me. I'm sad. Like, I'm not mad. I'm not going down there like, you know, I'm, I'm almost 60. I'm just, I'm going to go down and cry in front of my neighbor and see if it works, you know? And so I go down there. Everyone's come out on the neighborhood. And it's interesting because, you know, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Even with a stick-necked person. And I went down there, and this neighbor's yelling, and my dog just had surgery, and they're cursing at each other. And these guys are normal neighbors, you know, Huntington Beach neighbors. These neighbors are yelling at the guy, and these, this lady's coming. She's got a foot in a boot, and she's filming. I called the police on you. We're so sick of you. And this guy's like, what? Person pulls up in the car, the guy from New York that was there a couple weeks ago. He jumps out of the car, he's ready to go at it with this guy. This guy's a big, gnarly guy. Like, he's got an American flag the size of his garage door. And he's a former military. And he's a gnarly guy, and he's got all his kids out there, and no one's going to tell them they can't have a party. And, um, <laughs> and they're about to go to blows, and I walk up, and I literally was starting to cry. I just, I don't know, man. I just like, I was like, could you please not do this? If you could see my grandkids right now, and my dogs right now, please, could you stop? That's all I said. And it's like, I like neighbors like you. That's how you need to approach me. I wasn't trying to get like some brownie points. So I was just like, that's all I had. I was like, <laughs> I have to drug my dog right now. You know, like, and it's June 14th. Like, we're, we're three weeks from 4th of July. It's just going to go on every night. Like, you know, like, and, 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 and then and he tells the other guy, this is how you approach me like this. I'm like, <laughs> and the guy's like, it's just it's crazy. And uh, they stopped. So it worked. I don't know. But when the guy got out of the car before me, he's like, the New York guy's like this. And this guy's like, like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> it worked. So I got to say, it worked. You know, I don't know. Like I didn't plan it that way. And I walked home and I was just like, I don't know how much more I can take. I just cried. You know, that's all I did. And Denver's like, well, I was like, 
I didn't embarrass myself, you know, like, you know, I just, I don't have it in me. I, I, everything just, I just cried. That's all I did. And it worked. I don't know. It was like, like a curveball, you know, like reverse psychology or something. But point of the matter is don't be stiff necked. Don't be running at someone like this and don't be in the front yard like that. You know, like that's over. Right? Yeah. Just, there's no Jesus in that. I read this. I think if I got a number of goals before I step into eternity, not being stiff necked down the stretch is right up there. I wouldn't say like, right, like, don't be stiff necked, but in my other goals, it's just part of it. If I fulfill my other goals, this will be in that. There's so many people. It's, uh, it's like, it's tense, right? It's like stiff. So I just, oh. Don't be that, especially in Jesus' name. Not in here, not now. Verse 7. So Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he'd gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. All the people rose and worshiped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. There's a lot here in these verses. You almost picture like a Western movie, you know, like when the, when the, when the gunslinger's walking down, you know, town, and everyone's like in their, their windows watching them go down, you know, it's like, if you ever watch the Western movies, you know, I, I love Gunsmoke, it was like a 20-year run, and we had a, a couple, a couple years we had a cable set up where we had Gunsmoke, I watched like every episode of Gunsmoke, it's the best, it's like, and it's like, here's Moses, you know, everyone just like, when Moses would go to go speak with the Lord, everyone stopped, and they watched him go. Like, everyone like in their tents, like, there he goes. And they're all watching him go down the, down the street. And he's going out to the tabernacle. Cloud comes across, and there it is. What a scene. What a sight. Moses, the mediator, the one who spoke with God as one speaks with a friend. Meanwhile, parenthetical thought, there's Joshua, the next great leader of Israel, what an incredible leader, Joshua. You know, we talked about failed leadership last week with Aaron on Saturday night. What an incredible leader Joshua was. Like, Joshua is incredible. So here he is in his internship being trained to be the future leader of Israel. And Moses, like, Moses goes home. He's like, check you later, Joshua. Like, Joshua's like, he's just hanging out by the tabernacle. That's what he's doing. He's just right there, or as Pastor Chuck used to say, under the spout where the glory comes out. He's just right there at ground zero. And he stays that's his stewardship. But Moses, he comes and goes, and everyone just stops, and they watch Moses go meet with the Lord. What made this so special is that the Lord's talked with Moses as one speaks with a friend. Now, it's interesting because it says, like, face-to-face, but then God says, no one really speaks with me face-to-face. And we've talked about this already going through Exodus, and I'm not quite sure I can articulate it, but since we all speak with the Lord face-to-face in our prayer life, I think we can relate to it. That, you know, when you just have that sweet fellowship with the Lord, you know he's there, and in a way you're face-to-face, but you, you don't see him face-to-face. And I think it might be something like that. But he spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. This is who we should be in our relationship with Christ. Just, we come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. Christ died on the cross so we can have that intimacy with the Father by the Spirit through the Son, and we have access and we can speak with God face to face in this sense that we have access. We're not forbidden that we can come. That everything we ever face in our life, the Lord is there for us in a friendship manner to guide us through it. I caught just a clip of John Corson yesterday morning driving down south to San Diego County to take care of stuff that requires my attention and stewardship. But he was speaking, and who knows when he was teaching the study, how God allows tribulations and trials because they, they cause us to cast our burdens upon the Lord. And then we'll do that, and we'll keep them there for a few days, but then we, ta- we take them back, and then we've got to go back. So the Lord, in many times, he'll allow us to be afflicted and allow us to go through various things, so we'll cast our burdens upon him, and we'll be dependent upon him. And we'll see his handiwork in our life. And John Corson talked about so often 
it's hardships and tribulations and tragedies that that bring us so close to the Lord where we know him intimately and closely as opposed to very shallow and not. We don't want to be shallow people in the Lord. We want to be deep people in the Lord. We want to, we want to know the Lord. We want to know him like a friend, like Moses did face to face. And that cloud, that pillar is the presence of the Lord in the place where Moses went to be with the Lord. And if we can think about our life, we want to just be under that pillar and we want to be in that place where we're abiding and we're in fellowship and we're conscious and we're aware of the Lord. And that he, even if we're not able to really pray because we're with other people, we're in a work environment, but the minute people walk out of the room, whatever, and we like, Lord, thank you for guiding us in that business situation. That was a sticky thing. And, or we're praying on our breath like, oh, God, please just resolve this now. But just to have that cognitive, that consciousness sense that the Lord is there with us. We don't want to just see the Lord here. We want him to be with us there and as we go about. And he was face to face, if you will, Evelyn speaks to a friend. I want the Lord to be my truest friend. And he'll always be your truest friend. There'll never be a truer friend than the Lord Jesus Christ to all of us, right? Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for his friends. And we were enemies when he laid down his life so we could become friends. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. And just press into the Lord. That's what Moses did. Verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And he, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's what Moses said in response. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people upon the face of the earth, which is exactly what God had planned for Israel in that consecration, that sanctification. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but not my face. You shall not, my face shall not be seen. So this is that famous story we're going to get to where Moses sees the glory of the Lord in the cleft of the rock as the Lord goes by. But before we get there, I do want to point out to you verse 14, 15, and it goes into 16 where God says, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And Moses said, well, yeah, if your presence doesn't go with us, then why would you, we go on? We don't want to go. And then he said, except you go with us. And it's just good to be reminded that the Lord is with us. And when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he, of course, said, well, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And truly, for the follower of Christ, there's not a situation we ever face where we go, if you will, that he does not go with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. That was promised to Joshua, and it's reaffirmed in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit for all followers of Christ. So we know that wherever we go, the Lord goes with us. And there's things that we go to that make us, you know, there's a great unknown for we walk by faith, and we live by faith, and we walk by faith, and there's just things that we have to go to. We were going into a future, all of us, that is uncertain for a lot of people. But the Lord goes with us in every chapter and every season of our life, every new thing that he's doing, every old thing that we're letting go of as we prepare for a new thing. The Lord goes with us. The Lord goes with us. Even if you don't feel like he's with you, he goes with you. I think of Bobby and all the trips he's taking to Dominican Republic and how maybe each trip had its own kind of spiritual battle or oppression before you went and you had a different group of kids you were taking or maybe taking some adults or you're going to do a, a women's event or you're going to do a thing for the youth and, and all the things that you think about when you're leading something like that. And if it's on you, you just can be so overwhelmed. But if it's like it's on the Lord, it's the Lord's. And you learn to just trust in the Lord and know that he goes with you. 
You never arrive in the DR without the Lord. And everywhere I've ever gone with the Lord, I have not arrived without the Lord. I was talking with Pastor Hector yesterday, and we are saying about when we went to Hawaii 10 years ago and went to the, all the main islands, Maui, Kauai, Oahu, and the Big Island, and showed my movie, Beyond the Dream, and we did outreaches at all these different churches. And it was so funny because this is me and Hector, you know, like, it's just kind of like the odd couple, right? Me and Hector, and, uh, and Hector's just the funnest guy ever to travel with. But that was more than 10 years ago, and I can remember, like, flying in to uh, Kona side of the Big Island, and I'm like, I've never been to the Big Island. Like, what are we doing here? And these people we don't even know are meeting us at the airport. We're going to go show the movie at this church, and we don't know what to expect. And, and it's like, oh, one of the little little island puddle jumpers, little small planes, you know, between islands. And it's just me and Hector, and, but the Lord was with us. And we were just talking about that last night. And then we got to Oahu, and they had the, the famous Eddie contest. It was the day we arrived in Oahu. And then we spoke at these different churches in Oahu, and the Lord was with us. And we went for it. We had a, a movie and a message and a testimony, and we went for it. We went to, it was an outreach of this church, and we went to four different islands and shared the gospel. And we went for it. Recently, someone asked me, can you recommend a church in, on Oahu? I'm like, I sure can. I can recommend quite a few of them. So here they are, a bunch of churches on Oahu that I recommend. The Lord goes with us. The new job, the outreach, the ministry, the new neighborhood, the job applications, the school applications, a new start in a new country, the Lord goes with us. And, I mean, we, we could say we don't want to go unless the Lord goes with us. Like, I don't want to go unless your presence goes with us. But what we really need to know is as we're abiding in the Lord and we're seeking him, he's, he's going with us. It's exciting. It's exciting to enter into new adventures with the Lord, how significant or insignificant they seem, and to know that the Lord goes with us. You never, we never, ever have to face a new chapter on our own with all of our strength and wit and wisdom. I've been praying a lot about Russia. I've been, I've been praying a lot about Russia. I've been in touch with people in Russia. You know, I'm, I'm eager and excited to go back to Russia. Most of you know I have a visa that's good for a year to go to Russia through January of next year. And I was going to, I've already gone this year, at least once, possibly even twice by now. But of course, COVID-19 changed all that. I followed the news in Russia, and I've been working on improving my Russian language. It's actually getting better. Kind of like Spanish, it took a while, but once it gets traction, it starts to work. And I just, I think about Russia, and I think about the Calvary chapels, and I think about the other churches. And, you know, the one Calvary chapel, there's a Calvary chapel in Moscow that, that meets in a Baptist church. And so the Baptists meet there. Now, when you're in a country like Russia, sometimes the churches have to share a building. Like, we share a building, right? We're Calvary Chapel with a Baptist church. Similar thing, but it's right by a metro station. And, of course, Moscow, if you don't know, is the largest city in Europe. Did you know that? It's the largest city in Europe. 14 million people. Moscow's huge. It's very modern. It's incredibly modern. Like, I've, I've been to major European cities, and it's, it's 14 million people. And people take the metro everywhere. Public transportation's huge in Moscow. And this Calvary Chapel at a Baptist church is right off a major uh, metro station. And I've been thinking like when we went there, how do we get all those people, thousands walking by that church every day to get just from this pew inside this building? Because that's how close it is. And I think about that. How do we get them from right there in their busy Moscow world to walk through this door into this church, whether it's the Baptist congregation on Sunday or the Calvary Chapel congregation with Pastor Marat. I don't know. I think those are good things to think about. I think, Lord, when are we going to go back to Russia? What's it going to look like? Where are we going to go? It's the craziest thing, though, when I, it's just, it's there. And I'm praying about going back to Russia. And I am confident when I do that his presence will go with me, even as he did on the last trip in November last year. And I just, it's a country the size of the moon. It's one-sixth of planet Earth is Russia. It's 11 time zones of incredible history. And it's wide open. And there's people like us that love Jesus in small groups like us in different places and they're the legacy of those that were there 80 years ago, like Ivan Prokhanov, and now they're there. 
and now we're here. And who knows we'll be here 80 years from now or there 80 years from now. We'll always want to have that sense of new adventures for the Lord and know that his presence will go with us, which sets up chapter 34 nicely. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first one, and I'll write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up into the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on top of the mountain. And no man shall come with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flock nor herd feed before that mountain. So he cut the two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then the Lord rose early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai, excuse me. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, if I have now found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, take us as your inheritance. This is how we can, we can pray this prayer in any missionary outreach, right? <laughs> yeah, you're, it's your grace, but we found grace, and we're not qualified, but you've qualified us, and we're available, and you're going to use us, and we're going to go for new things with you. But the character of God is revealed here. Gail Irwin, the, the famous speaker in the Calvary Chapel movement years ago in the 80s and 90s, he, he did a whole book on the father style. He did the Jesus style, very famous book in the 80s, and then he did the father style. And the father style was based upon this passage right here. And it reproves the idea that somehow God revealed himself a certain way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New Testament. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is the same. God is light in him is no darkness at all, and he's the same from Genesis to Malachi as he is from Matthew to Revelation in his character, and this proves it. So the Lord, I've got blue and pink here for highlight because the blue is the side we want to be on, and the pink is the side we don't want to be on. See, blue is the Lord God, merciful and gracious. We want to be on the side of receiving. Now, he's merciful and gracious, I think, to everybody, but merciful and gracious in the sense of being his children and being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's merciful and gracious. God is merciful and gracious to all of us. We should never forget that. And we, we want to be reminded that just reading this text. He is merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering with all of us. Isn't he long-suffering with you and me? He really is. He's very long-suffering. And he's abounding in goodness and truth. See, everything the Lord does is goodness and truth, not just a little bit. Yeah, like you got a boss. Well, sometimes he's a good boss. Sometimes she's a good boss. Sometimes he tells the truth. Sometimes she tells the truth. No, he's abounding in goodness and truth. God is light and him is no darkness at all. Everything he does is good. It's his character. In goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Boy, God is good. And we have so much to be thankful for. In Jesus Christ, we receive and experience all of this for everything we need in life. Because this is what we need for life. And through faith in Jesus Christ and with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is our life. This is who we want to be. We want to be ambassadors because we say that the New Testament says that we're ambassadors of Christ. We're citizens of heaven. This is what we look like. If we're going to speak, this is what we should be speaking from, this character. If we're going to share a thought in the marketplace of thought, it should flow from this character as I said before the service speaking with Bobby we all know that even a fool's kind of wise when they hold their peace our words and our actions in Jesus name should reflect mercy grace long suffering goodness truth far reaching mercy forgiveness and grace toward other people now, the other side is when people are stiff-necked without regeneration, just at war with God, he doesn't clear the guilty. He visits the iniquity upon the children of children's children, which really isn't so much that God's judging children. It's more like he just lets you have your way. 
If you want to raise a family, if you want a marriage devoid of Jesus Christ, you can. You want to have a family devoid of Jesus Christ? You can. If you want Darwin and Marx and these guys to raise your children in their worldview, you can. But as Joshua said, it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Moses, at the end of his life, said, choose, choose blessings or choose curses, but choose this day and know that you'll live with your choices. There's consequences. And sin does perpetuate in subsequent generations. We understand that. And I've said this before on this passage. I remember being at Calvary years ago and someone said, I'm under a generational curse because of this and that. I'm like, you're under no curse. That's ridiculous. Because it says of Jesus, curse is one who hangs on a tree. And speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ breaks the curse of sin. So the moment you look upon Jesus like I look upon the serpent in the wilderness and we're healed. The moment we look upon Jesus, the curse of sin is broken from our life. Because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, right? So the whole idea like, oh, I'm the child of a lesser God. There's no hope of redemption for me because I'm the third or fourth generation. Well, you don't really even know that, even if you could try and say that. But the moment we receive Christ, he removes that because he paid the price. Son sets you free, you're free indeed. So it's not like, because I had someone come to me like, I'm cursed and there's no hope for me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, So you're saying that Jesus on the cross isn't enough for you this night at worship generation? That's actually blasphemous. And that's reflecting unbelief. Without faith, it's possible to please God. If you believe he died for you and rose from the grave, you shall be saved. Romans 10, 9, and 10. So confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And let's set this straight right now. But, you, you know, human beings believe kooky, weird things. They do. We do. We go, we, we're like quirky and weird, and we go toward aberrational thoughts and weird doctrines. It's kind of, we've got a track record in human history of doing that. Pretty much all, look at the world religions and how weird they are. So weird. Like, go to India where people are starving to death and they don't eat meat. You know, it's like, I mean, you don't have to eat meat if you don't want to, but, like, you can. And eating a cow or dying of starvation, I think eating a cow is probably a better choice than two, uh, just because God said you could, and there you go. But it's like, it's so weird, like, how you see the bondage of weird things. And we don't want to go for weird things. Just know this. The moment someone receives Christ, they're set free from every curse that sin could put upon them. And the cycle is perpetuated of family generational sins that might be there, whether it's abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, alcohol, drugs, whatever. It can be broken. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let me just ask this question before we move on. Do you believe, do we believe as a church of Jesus Christ that if someone receives Jesus Christ to be completely delivered from their sins? Yes or no? Yes, of course, yes. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we believe that. So no matter what someone's done, I got that letter from a murderer. He wrote me from prison. He goes, do you really believe I can be forgiven? Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. You may never be out of a prison system, but I certainly believe you can be forgiven and you can have more freedom being in jail with Jesus than people who are free outside of jail who are in bondage to sin. Man, we believe this. The cross is not about incompletion. It's about total victory. And it's good to be reminded of that. So, but he does hold people accountable. What did Jesus say? I didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but the world's already condemned. So all these people raging against God, raging against his character, raging against his word, raging against his bride. He's going to deal with them. We don't need to deal with them. We need to pray for him. He's going to deal with them. All the raging going on around us, as I said Saturday night, it's all going to be an eternity soon enough. It's all going to be an eternity soon enough. All this rage is going to be an eternity. And there, every individual is going to have an account for every word, every thought, and intent, and purpose of the heart. For all things are naked and bare and open before him to whom we must all give an account. So if you want to rebel against God-ordained authority, rebel. If you want to submit to God-ordained authority, submit. If you want to love your neighbor, love your neighbor. If you want to be at war with your neighbor, be at war with your neighbor. But know this, there's blue and there's pink in my Bible on this verse. And either on this side with all the blessings or on that side with all the consequences. 
God is light and him is no darkness at all. And there are things that grieve us. Let me just say this. If you're grieved, and I believe a lot of people are grieved, just make sure you're grieved by the things that grieve the Lord. Be grieved by things that grieve the Lord. Don't be grieved by our failures and folly and foolishness, but be grieved by the things that grieve the Lord. Because the Bible tells us we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit. And I believe it's quite clear as you have the mind of Christ that things that grieve him will grieve you. But it doesn't mean it needs to quench the Spirit in our life. We can still be Spirit-filled and be grieved by what grieves the Lord. He's coming, and either way, he's coming for this generation. Either way, he's coming for this generation. And those of you that are over 50, for the younger people here tonight, you can give me witness, we got from 20 to 50 pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. We're all moving quickly through time. What is our life, Solomon said, but a vapor? What did James say? But a vapor. I like that. Old Testament, New Testament. In case we're a little confused, we're told twice, just twice, but once in each book, in each testament. Life is a vapor. So we need to have it anointed, consecrated, and sanctified to the Lord, like we studied a couple weeks ago. Now we read on verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. And of course, he saw the glory of the Lord from the backside, as we saw. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvelous, marvels such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Not as we think of jealousy in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So it's a very clear warning. Don't, when you get in the land, I'm driving them out of the land, and do not compromise our covenant and our relationship by committing idolatry with them and theirs. We must be equally yoked. Light is light. And as it says in 2 Corinthians, what fellowship has Christ with Baal, the devil himself? That distinction. But if they would obey the Lord, even as we might say in principle for us, I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, of whom you shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And let's just say here for a moment, isn't it an awesome thing that the Lord will do with us? Isn't it an awesome thing that the Lord will do with us? Like, have we really let the Lord really be the Lord of our life? And we make ourselves available? Isn't it an awesome thing that he'll do with us? Speaking with uh, a young man from West Grove Church the other night when he was here at Zig, he's like, he says, you know, when you talk about Russia, you get, you get so excited. You're not Russian, are you? I'm like, I don't think so. But the name Baran does have Russian origin, actually. And I said, uh, I don't think so, but he goes, you just get so excited. like, and I told him the story, like how I was praying through the Calvary Chapel Missionary Prayer Book last year. And I randomly prayed for Dave Markey in Siberia. And I said, why would Dave Markey go to Siberia? Like, why would you do that? And what does he do? Many of you know the story, but then the next day, the Lord's like, you need to call your friend Billy in North Carolina and see how he's doing with cancer. So I called Billy. How are you doing with cancer? I'm doing good. What do you have to do? I'm going to Russia. Oh, what are you going to do in Russia? I'm going to go visit Dave Markey. What? And that's how it happened in 24 hours. And then there I am in, and he says, well, you'll never get a visa in time. And I got a visa in time. Well, I'm going to get a visa in time. I'm supposed to be there. And I, I just, there I'm in Dave Markey's car driving to this small village to visit people that look like the Mongols or the Tartars, you know, and, and it's snow everywhere. And I'm like, 
talking with Dave Markey, his whole story, how he got to Salicard, how he got there, and what he does there. And I got back on that plane four days later. I said, now I know why Dave Markey is in Russia and what he does. Is it not a marvelous thing? And I've been thinking about this. In that living room with one woman speaking a different language, not Russian, but her native dialect, and they look like Eskimos, but they're actually driven to the north, these nomadic people, like Bedouins almost, because of the Tartars and the Mongols from many centuries before. And I saw, like, it is a marvelous thing. It's a marvelous thing. You know, Dave Markey is a brilliant man. His dad was brilliant. They're all really smart, all the Markey kids. Really smart. Like, speak multiple languages smart, like, without trying that hard smart. And, and he told me, you know, sometimes I wrestle with my life that we built this house. We Googled YouTube how to build a house, and we built this house. And I have my family of four here. And we do this ministry, and once a week, we drive to the end of this road in the middle of Siberia, a 45-minute drive, and we come to this village, and we share Christ with these people, most of which are alcoholics, and have a very short life expectancy because they die for various things very easily in the tundra. But isn't it a marvelous thing? Like, we, we think... You know, when I see Greg Laurie hanging out with the president, and, like, they see they had, like, half a million people watch Greg Laurie on Easter morning, Right? Like, that's a marvelous thing. No, being in a woman's house whose husband died in the Afghan war and her second husband died of tuberculosis and she's there by herself singing a praise song to the Lord for me for five minutes in her native dialect, that's a marvelous thing. That's a marvelous thing. To hear a woman pull out her morning devotion notes and sing to me her praise song to the Lord. She's like, you're my guest in my house, in a, through translation, and I want to sing you a song that I sing to the Lord. That's a marvelous thing. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name will by no means lose its reward on the day of Christ Jesus. God wants to do marvelous things. God is doing marvelous things. And even this day, on June 16, 2020, how many marvelous things is the Lord Jesus Christ doing through his people all over this planet? who aren't distracted by all the noise, but are focused upon this still small voice, guiding them with the marvelous things. Oh, it's wonderful to see a half a million people listening to great glory and making commitments to Christ on Easter morning in 2020. It brought me joy. But it's marvelous to have a woman sit down and share her praise song to the Lord for you in her native dialect. There's beauty in everything for those who see beauty. And the Lord is beauty. And that's how we need to live. We read on in verse 17. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. The Feast of Unleavened Bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time in the month of Abib, for the month of Abib came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. At the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. All the firstborns of your sons you shall redeem. And none of you shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks on the first fruits of wheat harvest, the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of Verse 25, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until the morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called them and Aaron, all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. Moses talked with them and afterwards all the children of Israel came near and he gave them his commandments. All the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, that is the Lord, he would take the veil off until he came out. 
And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. So Moses had, in verses 17 through like 28, what we've already studied earlier on in Exodus, it's, it's a reaffirmation. We've studied these verses. These are like almost exact word for word previous verses earlier on in Exodus. So it's a, it's a reaffirmation, right? And how often do we need a reaffirmation? So once again, let's re- remind ourselves. We constantly need to be reminded of the most basic things over and over. When Peter wrote Second Peter, he says, I write to you things that you need to be reminded of. And it's not tedious, but you need to be reminded and we need to be reminded, you need to take refresher courses. If you're CPR thir- certified and you run a surf school after two years, what do you got to do? You got to take your CPR course again because you need to be reminded. We need to be reminded. And it's amazing, like if you're trying to learn a foreign language, if you just ignore it for a few weeks, you'll forget it all. It'll just go bye-bye. Oh, what's the word for cow? Cow, palabra para vaca. You know, oh, vaca, it's vaca. Vaca is the word for cow. Palabra para vaca, Spanish. You know, it's like... But if you don't, it just goes. If you ever try to, you know, or you're taking like a serious math class and you don't do your homework for two weeks, well, where'd that go? That concept. <laughs> it went to math heaven. It went bye-bye. So it's good to be reminded. And we see that in God's word, things being reaffirmed and reminded. And that's good. It's good to be reaffirmed of good things that strengthen our faith and keep us in our lane and on the right path that God has for us. It's good to be reminded. Now, I love what he said in verse 24. I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. It's like the prayer of Jabez, right? He prayed, God, expand my borders. Don't you want to expand your borders? Like, it's tempting to want to retract your borders right now. Like, okay, where can I go where no one bothers me for the next 20 years between now and eternity? Like, that thought does, now, if you're 20, you don't think that. But if you're 60, you think that. It's like, okay, the way I see it, you know, I just... I'm not trying to burn anyone at the stake, and I don't want to get burned at the stake. And I just want to mind my business. I want to be first Thessalonians 4, to live a quiet, peaceful life and not have any trouble. Well, you know, sometimes you just can't do that. The kingdom of God needs to be expanding. And if we're in exile or whatever's going on or we're incarcerated, whatever life might bring us, we have to have a vision for the kingdom expanding. So seek the Lord as we move halfway through 2020. Can you believe we're not even halfway through 2020? We're not even halfway through 2020. Seek the Lord as we move toward our 15-year anniversary in just less than two weeks as a church. And how can we enlarge our borders? Now, there's different seasons. But how did Paul enlarge his borders when he was in prison? Well, he wrote Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians, right? Like, we shouldn't be focused on what we can't do, but what we can do. And not focus on what we're not called to do, but what are we called to do? What can we do? Expand your borders. So I'm thinking in COVID, well, I really like the Sunday morning devotions. I really like the Thursday night Zoom. Well, as soon as we were done and we're all back in church, no one wanted to watch Sunday morning devotions. And no one definitely wanted to do Zoom. We're like Zoom dumb, done. This is what I think is Zoom, like just, you know, warped faces, broken audio. It's like, oh, Zoom. Except everyone in there I love, so I'm not going to strangle the laptop. You know, it's like, I love the, right? So that's, you know, let's expand our borders. And I was like, no, that's a season. I'll show you where to expand your borders. But if we seek and we knock and we ask, what's the Lord going to do? He's going to answer. He's going to open. And he's going to show. So I encourage all of us to expand our borders. God wants to expand the kingdom in our lives. Whatever's going on externally on planet Earth, we need a vision to expand the kingdom in our lives. And I love to read books by people who, no matter what they face, they had an optimistic, faith-filled perspective of the future to see the kingdom expanded through their lives. And that's how we want to be. We cannot let all the noise and intensity Quench the fire of God in our hearts for the future of a greater future for the kingdom of God for our generation, our children's generation, and our children's children's generation. It's a future and a hope that God gives his people, whether we're in Babylon in exile or whether we're in the palace with David with the reign of the king. 
I will cast out before you these nations and enlarge your borders. And everything about the cross is an enlarging of borders for the work of Christ in us, the work of Christ through us, and in our timeline for the people of our generation. We want to see people get saved. We want to wake up and think how God wants to save people. And how is he going to do it? And how can we be a part of it? That's how we need to be thinking and expanding border. And it might not be for you learning a language, a foreign language. It, it might be greater resources, greater time, greater energy. I don't know. But man, we, we got, we've got to see the kingdom expanding. If you wake up June 17th, and you see the kingdom expanding, and you pray for it to expand, and you pray for people that are in other countries like Cyprus or wherever, the Netherlands, and they have a vision for 25 churches, even though there's one. Like, you want to get behind that. Like, that people, we got to be like that to expand the borders, like the prayer of Jabez. Oh, God, expand my borders. That's how we want to be. That's what God, that's our God is a, is a border expanding God. That's who he is. Eyes not seen or ear heard those things that God's prepared for those who love him. And when we get to heaven, the borders are going to really expand beyond comprehension of what we know right now. But there's work to be done until we get there. And I just got to throw in one parenthetical thought on Moses. I, since we all have to wear a mask, right, like at various times, <laughs> how long? They come, they go, you know. You watch the world right now, the mask, they come and go. Don't get rid of your mask. Keep it in your glove box because you might not, you know, you might not be using it this week. You might need it next week. Who knows? But I think it's funny because his mask is opposite. We put our mask on to go into Albertsons or Trader Joe's or the bank. He took his off when he went in. Like he took his off when he went in to be with the Lord. He took his mask off. <laughs> and then when he came out, he had to put it back on. It's reverse. Like he's like, I don't know if there's any application on that, but I just think it's interesting. <laughs> it's like, oh, he goes to the Lord. It's like, so like when you pull up at the bank and you go, oh, where's my mask? Of course you have it. It's your wallet, your keys, your phone, and your mask, right? So there it is, I walk into Wells Fargo, right? But like, I'm going to see the Lord. It's like, I get to take my mask off. Boy, God is good. Someday, with, you know, I'll be unmasked, I guess, before the Lord. But he had that glory of being with the Lord. So to be unmasked with the Lord and then have the glory when you come out to be with the people. But remember, his was a fading glory. But what do we find for the New Testament believer? Corinthians tells us we're being transformed from glory to glory, and ours is an increase in glory. So nothing Moses could do could make that glory get stronger in his countenance. But in the New Testament, the more time we spend with the Lord, our glory meter goes up, and we need the mask even more. But not really, because we're to be unmasked with the glory of the Lord for those around us.